You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, guys. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21 this morning. Before we dive into the scriptures, uh, if you just bow your heads with me, let's pray over the text. Pray that God's Spirit would be here with us. Father, we just bless you this morning. Oh God, we, we are really grateful and thankful to you. But you are such a good Father. You've given us so many good gifts. You've given us the gift of your Spirit. You've given us the gift of the message of the gospel, the gift of your Son dying on a cross for us. As we have basically rehearsed the gospel this morning, as a church family, as we have as we have gathered in worship through music together, as we have observed communion together, as we have shared stories of you at work in our lives miraculously, as we have recognized yet another handful of, of new members coming in to the church that you are planning here in this community, and as we now get ready to dive into your word, Lord, I pray that you would give us yet one more gift. That that gift would be the gift of illumination this morning. The gift of illumination meaning, Lord, that you, would, that you would shine a light deep and within our hearts and that you would make the scriptures come alive in front of us and that you would, that you would shine a bright light on the scriptures and that it would just make sense, that it would resonate deep within our hearts and deep within our souls, Lord God, and that you would confront the sin that is there and that you would uh, challenge the, the, the unhealthy thinking and sinful behavior and sinful reasoning and that you would remind us, Lord God, of your son and his, um, his sacrifice and his gift of the cross that day and, and the gift of the empty tomb and the power that radiates from that and the the power that radiates from knowing that you now live inside of us if we have surrendered to you. Lord, help us to be a shining city on a hill that illuminates a bright light into the world where where there is much chaos and much difficulty and much suffering and much hardship and much deception. Lord, help us to be a shining light, a lamp, a city on a hill that just radiates beams of the light of the gospel. Lord, I pray that for us as a church, and I pray that this text would move us in those ways. Lord, challenge us, confront us, and encourage us. Lord, as I preach this text, I pray that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, and that you would that you would take them um, as, as, as completely inadequate as I am, Lord, that you would just take the things that I say and that you by the power of your spirit, would apply it to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Let me read the text, starting in verse 16 of chapter 8. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who hear may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. 
when his mother and his brothers came to see him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So J.C. Ryle commenting on a portion of this text, he says, The gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, our memories and tongues, but is to be seen in our lives. In other words, the gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite. When the gospel shines, multiplies, and unites among us as individuals and corporately as the family, the church, the bride of Christ. When the gospel shines, multiplies, and unites, the gospel is actually becoming clearly visible for all to see. And to think with me for a minute about these gospel themes of shining and multiplying and uniting. Through the gospel, we learn that we are to be cities that are shining brightly on a hill amidst the darkness and the corruption and the deception of the world around us. And through the gospel, we learn that the Holy Spirit begins a work in us at the moment of salvation, but that work does not stop in the moment of salvation. It, it continues to multiply as God continues His work inside of our hearts. God's saving work continues to multiply in the process of sanctification where each and every one of us is, is made to be changed, made to be like Christ. We are changed, transformed, and moved from the, the, the old passions of our flesh, and the old lifestyle of living, and we are, we are changed, transformed, made new. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is the continuing work of the Spirit in us. Some who come to me and say, I believe I was saved because I went to a camp. I believe I was saved because I prayed that one Sunday. And I say, no, you were not saved because of those things. You'll know you are saved when you see active change continuing to take place. This is the gospel that began at one point a work in your life. And then the Father who continues that work in your life by outward change beginning with inward change. Listen, if you get this backwards, if you merely focus on outward change with, with no inward change taking place, you will give in to merely practicing legalism, which will then result in you being more dead inside and carrying more baggage than you carry before. What happens on the external of our lives must begin with the internal work of the gospel. Think of your body, your life, your heart, your soul, your mind. Think about all those things in terms of a home amidst a storm. And in the midst of that storm, the light inside of you must be the gospel. And as the gospel continues, it's multiplying efforts and work inside of you through the power of the Spirit, through the will and the purpose of the Father. Holiness and Christ-likeness begins to come out of our lives, what we become known for. 
And this work does not discontinue. It does not stop until the Father is done with his work. Like there's nothing you could do to get him to start the work, which means there's nothing you can do to get him to stop the work. The question for you and I is this, is God actually at work in us? Is the light turned on? Through the gospel, we learn that the Holy Spirit at work in us, one of his primary purposes and jobs is to unite each and every one of us as a brand new family. Like he takes you from being an enemy of Christ and being an enemy of God through your life and through the way that you were living. And he saves you and begins to change you. And you, you go from being an enemy of God because of the way that you lived as his enemy to actually being a legitimate child of God. Like before that, you were an enemy, not a child. But when God saves you, when you surrender the gospel message, when you hear this grand and glorious message that, that you and I were lost, that we were, we were completely sinful, that we were without hope, and then Jesus comes because of the, the Father's great love for you and I. And that God actually created you to be with him. When you hear this message that because of God's great love and great mercy, he sends his son to die on a cross in our place as a perfect sacrifice and a ransom to pay the price so that you and I could be part of the family. When you hear that message and it moves your heart and it changes your thinking and your lifestyle begins to change, when that happens, you are now responding to the gospel. You've now become part of a family. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit as you become part of the family is to unite you and I together. Think of the miracle of this. Just think of this for a minute. Like before Jesus saves you and I, we are living as divided, hostile enemies of God. And not just divided, hostile enemies of God, but honestly, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're divided enemies and hostile towards one another. We are. The divorce rate is high. The family brokenness rate is high. Right? Church splits are high. Broken relationships are high. In fact, I think this is one of the key and core issues in the world today is the rate of broken and dysfunctional relationships, which when the gospel comes to bear upon those things makes it right the way that it was intended to be. When the Holy Spirit saves us through the gospel message, and we begin walking with Jesus and trusting in him by faith, day by day, not just on one day, but day by day, as we continue to follow, as we, as we continue to say, you know what, God, I don't have this all right. As we quit putting masks on, as we quit putting faces on, as we quit living as though we are better than we actually are, but living like we're worse than we think we are, when we start living that way and saying, but I'm probably worse than I realize, that's how much I need you, Jesus. When we become vulnerable and transparent in that way, when the gospel sets us free, not to fake it, hide it, or pretend anymore, now we can actually begin to live in unity with one another. Because to live in division against others that are especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, to live divided is actually counterintuitive and counterproductive to what the Holy Spirit does in each of you and I. We know these things. Like, I know I'm not preaching to the choir. I know what I'm saying makes sense to the vast majority of you in the room. The gospel is meant to shine, multiply, 
and unite. Because through the gospel, we learn that the Holy Spirit works to unite us as adopted brothers and sisters into the family of Jesus. But the problem for many of us is this is, this is not what characterizes our walk as Christians. The problem for many of us is that we do fail drastically in these areas, myself included. Like I'm, not, I'm not here behind this pulpit pointing fingers this morning. I, I don't want to do that at any time. I, I want to join the crowd with you guys and say this is a problem for us, myself included. The problem is that we often fail to shine brightly. Sometimes what happens in our life is we, if, we were to, if we were to assess or analyze our lives, we would, if we were honest, we would have to say that we oftentimes don't see the growth of gospel multiplication in our lives, which is actually evidenced by personal and corporate holiness. And that's one of the problems is that when we look at our lives, we say, man, we still feel like we fall so terribly short. And on one hand, it is true that we will always fall short of the glory of God. On the other hand, there should be a marked change of transformation and growth as the gospel multiplies deep within our hearts and the soil of our souls. Sometimes we see a ton of division in the church family, which again, as I said, is very counterproductive or counterintuitive to the way that the Holy Spirit works to unite us as a family. Sometimes as we assess or analyze these things, we might also say that these problems may arise among us because of a lack of boldness or a lack of honesty, maybe a lack of maturity. Maybe, maybe it's an inability to hear and practice the gospel, but regardless of the reasons and regardless of the excuses that you and I can land on, regardless of all of the analyzation, regardless of, of all of the looking at what's wrong, we still fall short. We still need Jesus. And I can rest assured, I, wanna, I want you to rest assured with me. I want us to rest assured. I want us to be assured. I don't want us to live in fear. I want us to trust and to know that the God who began a good work in both you and I will not discontinue this work. I know I've said it three times. I'm saying it and repeating it multiple times on purpose this morning. I want us all to understand the encouragement that when God begins a work in you, He doesn't stop. Does that excite anyone? Yeah, he doesn't stop. As many times as you and I fail, as many times as you and I see how poor our lives are, it's not the same with Jesus. It's not the same with God. This is the good news for us. Though you and I are unfaithful and we fail and we sin, God never, never, ever gives up. He will not discontinue working this until the day of completion. Think about it like a builder of a home. And you and I may walk away from the project of building a home because we run out of money, run out of resources, right? Maybe because we get into a fight with one of the other builders and we're like, we're not working around you anymore. This is not the work of God. God doesn't behave or work that way. God continues the work until it's done. There, there, there is no running out of resources for God. There's none. Not running out of resources for God. There is nothing about God that is divided. They, they accuse Jesus of being filled with a demon at one point. He says, you know, that wouldn't make any sense because a house divided against itself would fall. Not, there's no demon inside of me. How could I do the work of God? 
point in all this is that what we see in the character of God, even if we look at this, these topics this way, is that we see in the character of God. These scenes of shining brightly. It's like that song that you hear on the radio, shine bright like a diamond. Just look at the character of God, though. Just in the character of God, you see God shining brightly amidst the darkness. You see God multiplying the work of the gospel in the midst of the darkness. Take a look at this topic of progressive revelation just for a minute. You might say, progressive what? Like, where are you today? Progressive revelation is this. When you, when you open the scriptures at the beginning of the scriptures and you read it all the way from beginning to end, progressive revelation is the process by which God reveals himself to mankind in a step-by-step way. And as you are faithful with hearing and seeing and understanding and responding to each step of his revealing himself to you, he gives you a little bit more. See, if God were to dump on you and I right now the depth and the depravity of our sin and his grandness and gloriness, it would crush you and I. It would crush us completely. You and I are so deceived still that we literally really have no clue the depth of our sin. But God is so glorious. And so instead of revealing all of that to us in one moment, he reveals it to us progressively. Progressive revelation. Just think of that topic for a minute, what it means to receive what's being given to you here. Truly hear what's being preached to you through a preacher on a Sunday morning or through a podcast or through a book that you've been reading or through just plainly opening the scriptures and having God's spirit speak to you. Think about just hearing the little bits that are being said to you and preached to your heart and soul and what it looks like to actually receive and hear that authentically and then have that result an authentic change taking place in your life. And then God says, okay, he got that step. Let's move on to the next step. Goes back again to the big elephant in the room for all of us, right? You try eating that elephant in one bite, and what happens? You eat, you eat an entire elephant in one bite, you're dead. I mean, you look at the size of me, okay, now think about big elephant. Now, I might think that I could eat a big elephant. Now, here's another thing. You know what? Just step back for a minute from that elephant. How far back can you step before you, before you lose sight of the bite that you took? And then what happens? Instead of paying attention on the step that God has taken you through, you're now focused on the big elephant issue, right? And there's no encouragement. There's no encouragement anymore. The point in what I'm saying here is that what God does is he takes you through a process of not only progressive revelation where he reveals little bit by little bit by little bit until one day we're in heaven and he's revealing more. And I still think, if you want to be honest, like I'll take this another bunny trail. I think when we get into heaven... I think we will spend the rest of eternity still getting to know God. Like, I don't think that there's any, any point where we will ever arrive, which brings us back to a sense of arrival even in this time and this day. Like One of the things that squashes the light inside of us is this pharisaical, pompous attitude that says, I've arrived. Like I'm doing Christian things and you're not. Right? That will squash the work of the Holy Spirit deep within you. And cause your lights to go out in a hurry. Encouragement to us this morning is that we let the light shine in ways that it shines brightly. And in ways that it multiplies the work of the gospel. And in ways that it unites us with our brothers and sisters. Gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite. Commenting on verses uh, 16 through 17, Philip Ryken says this. He says, 
He says, if Jesus has illuminated us with the gospel, it is time for us to shine. In other words, the gospel is meant to shine. The problem for many of us is that the gospel isn't shining in us. It's, it's like we've been given a brand new car, okay? Think about your dream car for a minute. You get that brand new car and you take it and you park it in the garage and you never drive it. You never take it out of the garage. You just step in the garage one day a week and you admire the car. You sit in the car. You sniff. You breathe deeply the, the smell of that brand new car scent, right? Maybe you start it, hit the gas, vroom, put it through the gears right there in the garage. Wow. Check out what that feels like. And you turn it off, you go back inside, and you start telling everybody about how wonderful a car you have. You start telling them all the details of the car that you know, right? And they're like, really? Like, show me the car, yo, right? Isn't that what somebody's going to say? Hello, show me the car. Where's the car? I don't believe you. Maybe it's like when you get a brand new house. You got your dream house. Like My dream house is a dream house out in the country. Log cabin, seven or eight bedrooms. Two or three bathrooms would be great with seven kids. I only got one, so you know what a blessing that would be. On at least four or five acres in the country where nobody can find me, I can turn my phone off, and man, that would be my dream house. Can you imagine if I bought that house? If I bought the house, right? And I only went out there on Sunday mornings. Now it hits home, doesn't it? Right? I only went there on Sunday mornings to take a walk through the house. Wow, look at those seven or eight bedrooms. Hey, kids, look at those four bathrooms. Man, look at all this green grass. Oh, green grass. Oh. And take a look at all this area that we could be riding horses in or riding dirt bikes or we could be riding four-wheelers, right? Take a look at this huge deck on the back of the house that we could be inviting people over to have dinner with us. And then let's just say we just left and we never actually moved into the house. We never actually used it. This would be the same as not letting the light of the gospel shine brightly in our lives. And sadly, this is, this is true of much of the church today and of many Christians' lives today. When we relegate the gospel down to merely Sunday morning attendance with a group, and even midweek gospel community or small group meetings, when we relegate it down to that and we say, All right, I've done my gospel duty for the week, when, when the gospel doesn't permeate every aspect of our lives, we have relegated it down to something it was not meant to be, and we are not letting it shine. <coughs> the reality is that when it comes to the gospel, it was meant to shine in every aspect of our lives. When we call ourselves Christian, when we submit and surrender and begin to follow Jesus, it is meant to shine in Every aspect of our lives, from our relationships to our vocations, to our possessions and to our hopes and our dreams, to our attitudes and our decisions, and our families and our habits, etc. Many of you that would ask me sometimes, like, why do you war against other people that call themselves Christian but don't live like it? Duh. They're living a false gospel. That's why. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me again. Here's Jesus, right, doing his ministry. 
preaching a message says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed. It wouldn't make any sense to be sitting in the living room of my home and need to be able to see better to read a book and, and then turn the lamp on and be like, hey, Lewis, would you go grab a jar and put it over the top? Or, hey, Lewis, why don't you get the light on? Go put it underneath the bed. That would be stupid. I mean, it's, it's asinine if you read this, right? Right? Like when you're looking at the text, it's like, okay, Jesus, I guess it's pretty basic. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see it. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. The deal is this. The gospel shines best for us in these types of scenarios. It shines best for us when we don't cover it. We're not meant to cover the gospel. We're meant to uncover it and let it shine. But oftentimes we tend to cover the gospel with our self-help techniques and then isolation. If we isolate ourselves out of community, which is what we often do because community for us sometimes can just be a fad. Like, I love being in a gospel community for now until it gets hard. Or I love being in a gospel community now until something else catches my attention. I love being in a gospel community until, well, my schedule gets out of whack and I just can't make it anymore. And then we isolate ourselves from a community of the gospel which is, which is meant to help us shine. <clears throat> the gospel shines best also when we make it primary. We make the gospel primary by seeking to live in holiness. It should always be that question for us. What would be the most God-honoring thing for me to do in this moment? Not, 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 not what will make this person or that person happy. Not will this person or that person get ticked at me. The question must be, what will be the most God-honoring thing for me to do? Honestly, if you tattoo that one on your forehead... And you look in the mirror for that one every single day. And you walk around with that question in your head. And what will happen is at times you will be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the most God-honoring thing to do is here. And at that moment, you have to open the scriptures. You have to phone a friend, right? You have to do some things so that you can find out for sure. Because we live in a world that is deceived. And Satan is always on the prowl. The scriptures say that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It says that Satan is a schemer and he's a much better schemer or planner than you and I are. In fact, for many of us who don't plan at all, that means that Satan is a far better planner. He's already planned out and schemed out ways of trapping you like a little mouse so that he can eat you. He's already planned those things out. So when you begin to ask those questions like, what can I do here that will honor God the most? This is the way that you protect yourself from being attacked or deceived or drawn into sinful behaviors and activities that don't honor the Lord. And all of that begins by living in community and making the gospel primary. There are many other ways that I could say you could make the gospel primary. Open the scriptures and read them. Spend time in prayer, right? Be mentored by another older, wiser, gospel-wise person. These are all ways that you can make the gospel primary. I just simply picked on gospel community this morning. 
Another way that the gospel shines best in each of us is when others actually see it in us. Like, write that down. Now, the question for you and I should be, are there people that I am surrounded by that are saying, dude, something's changed. Something's happened in you. What is going on? When someone else around you is noticing the gospel, it means the gospel is shining. When others actually see the gospel in us through our words and our actions, and they say, your life is changing. Listen, don't hear me wrong. Don't feel like you're getting beat down this morning. This is not me telling you that you must live in perfection. That is impossible. I don't want us to walk out of here begin to think that for me to let the gospel shine, I must be perfect. No, Jesus is your perfection, and he finished the work. So you and I can just authentically go, you know what, I'm probably going to biff this a lot, but I'm really going to attempt to live in a way that honors the Lord, in the way that I interact with my coworkers, my spouse, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my kids, my friends, my community. How about the grocery store clerk, the way that I interacted with her, or the waitress at the restaurant the other night? How much did I tip her? Am I interacting with her in a way that the gospel is shining? Am I living in a way that honors the Lord. So the gospel shines best in us when we don't cover it and we make it primary, when others see it in us. And number four, when we don't hide it. Oftentimes we wind up hiding the gospel at work in us through, again, through isolation. But oftentimes it's hidden more through secret sin. Sins that you keep secret. The things that you don't want everybody else to know. The ways in which you and I put up walls. And again, this happens in isolation. Secret sin will murder the work of the gospel in you. If you're going to murder sin inside of you, if you're going to make war against the sin that has been uh, uh, digging its hole deep within you, if you're going to go to war with that, and you've got to let the gospel shine. You cannot cover it. You cannot hide it. You've got to be vulnerable and transparent. One of the things I love so much about our church family is this, that many of you in this room have been living very vulnerably, very transparently, very openly for many to see what's been happening in your life. You're not seeking to hide it. You're not seeking to put masks over it. You're not seeking to build walls around you. You're openly struggling with the effects and the dominance of sin, and you're, and, you're, and you're seeking to surrender to the kingship of Christ so that the gospel shines. And I'm so encouraged to see the Spirit at work in us that way. It's so, so good. The question we should be asking ourselves is, and is the gospel shining in me? Because the gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite. As we dive into verse 18, Philip Ryken says this. He says, if we do not put what Jesus says into practice, then even what we have heard will not be of any use, either to us or anyone else. In other words, the gospel is meant to multiply. To think back with me uh, just for a moment, if you heard last week's message, and if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to it after today. And read the text previous to this that we worked through last week regarding the sower and the seed in the soils. The big idea there in that text is that everything 
had to do with the soil of our hearts receiving the word of God or receiving the soil. There was some soil in the text that was hardened, right, and would not receive. And anything that was being preached or said to that soil was bouncing right off and falling dead on the ground. Some soil was distracted by the cares and the frustrations of life, but some soil was being cultivated and ready to receive the seed of the gospel. Can you imagine buying a bunch of grass seed? And putting it on your yard year after year. And waiting for it to grow. And seeing nothing happen but weeds grow. Can you imagine the frustration? You guys know the frustration because you've all seen my front yard. <laughs> Can you imagine how frustrating it is to not have any grass growing in your yard after trying three years, you bought the seed, you got the fertilizer, you tilled the sinking ground over and over and over again. And you toiled and you got dirty and you walked away and when you came back, you thought you saw grass and then it died. Frustrating. Resources spent and wasted. And you imagine the frustration that you would feel if you didn't see that seed multiply exactly what verse 18 is describing. It's describing two yards, one yard that multiplies and, and the other one that doesn't. Look at verse 18 with me. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Just stop there for a minute. Take care how you hear. Like you can't hear anything when you've got your fingers in your ears like, la, 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 I can't hear you, but I'm pretending like I do. Take care then how you hear. Somebody used to tell me that you got two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. When it comes to gospel multiplication in people's lives, some of us need to learn. <laughs> some of us are learning in this season. It's good for us to listen twice as much as we talk. Take care then how you hear. It doesn't say take care how you talk. And if you want to talk about taking care how you talk, look at James. He'll tell you all about your tongue being a rudder, like a ship. He'll talk all about your tongue being like a, a little spark that starts a forest fire that in one moment worships God out of one side of its mouth and then curses people that are created in God's image out of the other side of its mouth. How can these things be so? We must be insane. That's James, Jesus' little brother. Jesus, as he talks, he says, take care how you hear. For to the one who has, here, I'm a big advocate for this at this point in this text. For the one who has heard, more will be given. Okay? So, for the one, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Again, let me read it a different way. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has heard, more will be given. And for the one who has not heard, even what he thinks that he has heard will be taken away. Make more sense now when you read it that way? Let me read it again. Pay careful attention. Take care then how you hear. Thank you. For to the one who has heard, more will be given. And from the one who has not heard, even what he thinks that he has heard will be taken away. Mm. 
the gospel will multiply. When we care about how we hear, instead of lazily listening for someone to tickle our ears, and oftentimes we have a hard time listening to what's preached or we have a difficult time listening to the word as it's opened in front of us simply because it confronts areas of our lives that are living in darkness and deception and not shining. It's difficult to read that. It's like, oh, stop confronting me. Say something I like to hear already. And that becomes an issue for us. We need to be confronted at times. We need to hear. Flipping back over to James, Jesus' little brother, <clears throat> Jesus says, be slow to anger. Be quick to listen. Right? And the whole idea behind what James is writing in that section of text is all about being quick to listen, being slow to anger, slow to speak. And what he's talking about, the big context, is putting God's word, the gospel, in action. Faith in action. Faith you can see. James says, you talk about your faith all day long. I see nothing. The point to this is this. Oftentimes, when the scriptures confront us, we're really quick to speak. We're, we're really slow to listen, and we're really quick to anger. And James says, no, 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 no. When the scriptures speak to you, when the preacher preaches, when God's spirit speaks to you, man, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, take care how you hear. The gospel will multiply when we care how we hear. Gospel will also multiply, number two, when we receive what's being given to us. Let me say it again. The gospel will multiply when we receive what's being given to us instead of rejecting the truth of the gospel. The gospel will also multiply, number three, when we stop giving in to deceptive thinking. Instead of believing our own version of the story, which oftentimes is deceived and needs the light and the truth of the gospel to come in, push away the darkness, and set us free once again. And so in regards to the gospel multiplying in our lives, like for me, it has become a really good discipline to ask some of these types of questions. Like instead of me asking them, okay, now like how's my daughter uh, doing in, in terms of the gospel like multiplying in her life? Like that's, again, I say this every week, that's easy for me to look at everybody else and say, you biffed it. And, and, and if I understand humans enough, that's easy for all of us, right? My ex-husband did this. My ex-wife did that. My wife did this. And I can just get this whole attitude thing going, like it's not about me. It's all about you. You suck. I'm great, blah, 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 That's why it's good for us to ask questions of ourselves, okay? So maybe you ask these questions. How well am I listening? I don't ask the question and just like, Move past it. How well am I listening? Great. Check. Next question. No. Go back there and think for a minute. Like, let the Holy Spirit reveal to you and speak to you. Spend some time just listening to him. Grab a journal, a notepad. Grab your pipe, your pack of smokes, whatever it is. Go sit on a couch somewhere in someone's garage all by yourself for a little bit and just listen. Silence can be deafening sometimes. It'd be really good for us just to listen and hear from the Holy Spirit Sometimes he might just say things like, hey, dude, like you need to spend some more time with me listening. Sometimes he might say some really affirming things like, hey, dude, you really are a son of God because Jesus saved you. Oh, hey, dude, there's this dark area in your life. You need to deal with that. How well am I doing at listening? 
Another question I ask is this. When I hear something, do I take the time to process it? Spirit, please let me know. Am I taking the time to process what you're saying to me? Maybe ask this. When I hear something, am I ready to receive it? God, is my heart in a place where it's ready to receive what you're saying? Help my heart get into a place where I'm ready to receive. When I hear something, am I immediately defensive or angry? This is a big one. This is a really big one. When I hear something, did I immediately respond defensively or angrily? See, if I'm getting defensive, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing. And if I'm not hearing what my wife is saying, I'm not hearing what the Spirit is saying, and I'm getting defensive about what she's trying to say to me, and I'm getting defensive about what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me, I'm not really hearing. So check yourself for defensiveness when you try to explain things away. Anger is an easy emotion. I mean, your face just turns red or you turn green like the Hulk, right? Another question would be this. Uh, when I hear something, am I willing to be confronted for any deception that has grown inside of me? Like, am I willing to surrender to that in those moments? Like, I'll never forget one of the days when my youngest daughter drew a picture of me, and it was of an angry dad, red-faced, right? This was quite a while back. I'll never forget the feeling in that moment when I realized this is the legacy that I'm leaving. That was a moment where I could have shut off and not listened. I could have become more angry. How dare you draw that picture of me, right? And I'll be honest, there's probably part of me that wanted to go there. Okay? Thank God for the Holy Spirit who protected me in that moment. Because in my natural self, I would have gotten more pissed. Because I want to protect my image. Don't want anybody to see me as the angry guy, right? Am I willing to be confronted for any deception that has grown inside me? I had a different picture of myself then. I mean, I struggle with anger, yeah, but God's overcoming it. I mean, I got the Christian lingo down, right? But the reality is what my kids were seeing was a really angry guy. I had to begin to repent of those things openly in front of them, ask them to pray for me, study my scriptures, empower my wife and my children to be like, Dad, when you start to blow a gasket, we're going to tell you you need a freaking cup of coffee, okay? Is the gospel multiplying in me because the gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite? Let's wrap this up here in a minute, right? Verses 19 through 21, Philip Ryken says, They say that blood is thicker than water, but we are tied to the family of God by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, a bond that is even thicker than blood. In other words, the gospel is meant to unite us, and the, the opposite of unity is division. And the meaning of the word division is this, two visions or double vision. The word vision for our purposes today has to do with seeing the same picture. When two people look at the same thing but have different ideas for how something is supposed to be or how something should look, then what's happening is division is happening. For instance, when a husband and a wife have different visions or pictures of what marriage should look like, then their marriage can become divided because of two visions or division. Division happens among church families oftentimes because we all have the tendency to approach the picture of church family from a different position or, or a different frame of reference. And, and listen, I'm not throwing diversity like in, under the bus or into the fire or anything because we should celebrate diversity. A diversity Within unity 
looks different than what, what most of us have learned. The gospel is meant to unite us. One of the most common ways for church families to become sick with division has been <clears throat> over this very basic topic of worship music. The reality is that we all have our preferences, right? Some people like hymns. Some people love like slow, soaking, repetitive music. This is my daughter. She loves that slow, soaking, repetitive music. Some people love really upbeat southern gospel tunes where you can kind of bounce and get jiggy with it, right? Get the tambourine out, start slapping that thing, right? Start clapping your hands. That's not us. I mean, it's really hard for us sometimes here. Some people love that real heavy indie rock sound. That's me for sure. I love the heavier indie rock worship sound. Oftentimes, people begin to elevate their pre preferences above unity. Listen, you, you get one thing out of this final point. It's this. When you elevate your preferences above unity, you cause division. If God's word does not clearly call something a sin, you cannot call it a sin. And when you call something wrong or bad or sinful that God's word doesn't call bad, wrong, or sinful, guess who just became sinful? Right? You've elevated your preferences above unity and you're walking in sin, darkness, causing division. Please, my friends, get this. Be very careful of these things. Some people who believe that it's not okay to drink beer, that's okay, that's your preference. God's word's not clear on that. There's some, some people that believe it is okay to drink beer. That's okay. That's now your preference. God's word doesn't speak to that. There are some people who think it's okay to get drunk. Ain't wrong. You haven't read the scriptures because the scriptures are clear on that. Following me? Like, I don't want to get caught in this argument of should we drink or should we not drink. I just want to get caught in the argument of, hey, if your heart is thirsting after drunkenness, then let's sit down, my brother, my sister, and let's talk. And if you can't have that conversation... I'm not sure you're my brother or sister yet. And if you are, you're just really living in deceptive darkness, right? Follow me? Like, that's the kind of conversations that should happen in gospel community, but oftentimes we're just hung up on these other peripheral issues that have nothing to do with sin, and we lose sight of the gospel wanting to do its work in and through us. What happens is gospel unity is sacrificed. Look at verses 19 through 21. I want to show you where I'm getting this. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, right? So here's Jesus. He's out there preaching, doing his ministry, doing the thing God called him to do. Mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. There's a massive crowd there, and they can't get to him. And he was told. So somebody comes over, shoots him a text message, email, Facebook. I don't know. Maybe it was just a big you know, loudspeaker horn. I don't really know. I don't think it was any of those because none of those existed back then. Just making sure you guys are tracking with me. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother, mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is a funny way of answering the question. Wouldn't you agree? Like Jesus' relatives, blood, so-called blood relatives, are standing outside the crowd. And they can't get to him. And he's like, taking this moment and using it as a teachable moment. It almost feels like Jesus kind of like dives off course for a man. Like, Jesus, are you like ADHD? Are you bouncing from one topic to the next? What's going on here? When he responds this way in the text, it almost seems as though he's being rude. 
But look at the text again, man. Like Jesus' family, they, they come to see him for some reason. We don't know what the reason is. It's unknown to us. And because of this great crowd that is gathered, someone comes to him and says, hey, your family wants to see you. They need to talk to you about something. They've got some issue going on, but they can't get to you. Will you stop doing what you're doing for a minute and go pay them some attention? And Jesus' response is this. Hey, wait a minute. Let me use this as a teachable moment. Guess what? You are my family if you do what the gospel says. You are my family. You are my brothers and my sisters. You are my mother. My mothers, my brothers, my sisters are ones who live and practice the gospel. You are my family if you hear and practice the gospel. He's saying what actually unites us as a family is the gospel, hearing doing the word. Can you imagine the potential for division in these three verses? Think about the potential for division taking place here. Jesus is doing ministry and his quote-unquote biological family wants more time and attention from him. And instead of dropping everything uh, for them, he uses the moment as a teaching moment instead. Like, can you imagine Mary, Mother Mary, getting all butthurt over the whole thing, right? And uh, Jesus didn't cater to my needs immediately. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that Jesus wouldn't drop everything and come talk to me right now? This is the division that could have happened in this moment and oftentimes happens in church families. Can you imagine Jesus' brothers being like talking among themselves, gossiping and slandering him, right? About how much of a loser Jesus was because he didn't do what they desired him to do. Like we wanted him to do this, he didn't do that. Now he's a loser, gosh. Can you imagine that happening? You imagine his relatives shooting him text messages and scolding him for using them as a sermon illustration in the first place? <laughs> I mean, this is division. This is what happens in not only just church families, but families, period. And sometimes we blindly look the other way. Don't dig in. And can you see Jesus' family like sulking around outside because he didn't meet their expectations? Listen, I firmly believe that the gospel is meant to unite families. It's meant to unite and heal families. I believe this so much that I believe that the gospel has the power to unite people who once were greatly divided enemies. This is the gospel at work. If it does it between me and my Father in heaven, I know that it, it has to do it between me and my friend now that I am divided with. It has to. So if the gospel is at work in me and in him or me and in her, then what will happen is the gospel will unite us. Now, it may not happen in the timing that I wish it would because I'd like it to happen right now, right? I just got to trust that if the gospel is at work in me and in that person, that's going to happen. Remember Riken's words. We are tied to the family of God by the person and work of the Holy Spirit, a bond that is even thicker than blood. In other words, the blood that bought and unites you and I spiritually is more precious than the blood that ties us together physically. If these statements are true, I want you to imagine how much more this principle of the gospel uniting us in our everyday interactions with other believers and with our own flesh and blood relatives, what it actually implies for us, how we must live in relationship then. I mean, in one sense, like as Jesus is preaching this message and as he's using his own family as a sermon illustration, he's not just talking about his, his flesh and blood relatives. He's talking to them, literally, because they're in the audience. And he's saying, look, you are my family. If you hear and practice the gospel, 
This should have a sobering implication and impact on each and every one of us as believers. What does it look like for us to be united by the gospel? What does it look like for us to be united by the gospel? We are united by the gospel when we hear and practice the gospel. The follow-up question has to be, how do we hear and practice the gospel? Right? Nine things. Lower our expectations. Surrender our preferences. Put others' needs before our own. Invest more than we consume. Forgive, extend mercy, and be patient. Be clear on what the Bible calls sin. Confess and repent regularly. Don't gloss things over or excuse or justify sin. And remember, all of us need Jesus. All of us. Every one of us is in need of Jesus. In the gospel, we see that the gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite. Is the gospel helping you to walk in unity, friends? Your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers. I want to invite our musicians forward at this time so we can close up our time together. I want to close with this. I want to go back to the first quote that I read off to us from J.C. Ryle. Mr. Ryle says that the gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. In other words, the gospel is meant to shine, multiply, and unite. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time in the scriptures today. Lord, we thank you for we thank you for Luke's gospel. We thank you for picture. <coughs> picture of the, when the gospel is a work in us, that the gospel actually shines, that it multiplies the work that you began in us, and that it actually continues that work and unites us as a family. That the sin that once caused chaos in our individual members, which then produced more chaos in us corporately as a family, begins to be eradicated because you go to war against the sin that held us captive. I'm so thankful, so thankful to you, Jesus, for your work the cross and the power of the empty tomb and the ongoing work of your spirit and the love and the mercy and the grace of the Father. Lord, continue that work of the gospel in our midst today as a church family. Jesus, please continue to shine brightly inside of the house of our church family. Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we plead with you, we beg you, we ask you, Lord God, to do your work in each of us individually that the gospel might multiply, that the fruit of our lives would be gospel fruit, that people would see the unity in our lives, that, that people would see the way that we have lowered our expectations of others, that that they would see us surrendering our preferences in light of the truth, that, that people in our community would see us putting others' needs before our own, that people would see us investing more than we actually consume, that, 
people would see the fruit of forgiveness and extension of mercy and patience and that people would see the fruit of, of being clear on what the Bible calls sin and just living vulnerably and transparently in light of that and our need of Jesus, remembering that every one of us needs you. Every one of us is in need of you, Lord God, and we know that and we need you. Please continue this work in us. Help us to continue confessing and repenting on a regular basis. Let us not give in to isolation or distraction, Lord God. Help us to lean into gospel community, gospel family, which produces more gospel disciples. Help us, Lord God, to never gloss over, excuse, or justify our sin. Father, we pray that the gospel would continue to be at work in us and that it would shine and that it would multiply fruit and that it would unite us together as a family and that, and that this community around us would be attracted to you and your work in us. Pray these things, trusting that you will do it, that you will do the work. Help us to shine, help us to multiply, help us to be united. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thanks for letting me preach this morning. I love you guys a ton. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.